Welcome to 2024. Some of you haven't been here since last year, right? Is the old saying every year. Today, we're getting back. We took a little detour as we were talking in the book of uh, uh, First Kings. We got to the end of Solomon's life. And we thought, you know, a lot of people will tell you, they'll tell you what they've learned from life when they get to the end of their life. And so what we, we kind of took a detour off of 1 Kings, and we went over to look at Ecclesiastes. And so we went through the book of Ecclesiastes because that was the book that Solomon wrote. And he, as he wrote that book, you were learning a lot that he learned in hindsight. You know, they said hindsight's 2020. Well, you were seeing some of the, uh, what Solomon wished he would have done in life. What we hope to do in life is go through life, and when we get to the end of life, get to the point that we don't have very many regrets, right? And so today I want to talk about, we're talking about passing the mantle. The mantle was passed different times in the Bible, but primarily as we started dealing with the kings, uh, we got King David, and we talked about his life, and then King David died, and the mantle was passed to Solomon. And then Solomon died, and today we'll pick up and start in 1 Kings, the 12th chapter. I hope you brought your little uh, books. I don't know if they still got any more of these, but we were had these available. So if you forgot to bring it today, bring it back next week, and you'll, it, you'll be able to follow right along with us in there. And, uh, but we're in 1 Kings, the 12th chapter, and we'll start today as the mantle is passed to Rehoboam. And... Uh, so, which is Solomon's son? And uh, when you begin to look at uh, Solomon's life, um, the, the title I want to give this message today is The Good Life. Because I think most of us, our goal is that we would be able to enjoy the good life. You know, nobody wants to go through a horrible experience in life. You want life to be good. You want to uh, have family and your children and your children's children and around the holidays is usually either a happier time or a sad time because sometimes you, you look around you and you see that you probably could have developed better relationships with your kids or your grandkids and you you think of you know I wish I'd have been a little better at this or a little better at that and a lot of times we do a lot of the end of the year uh, you know just looking back and then we start the New Year's off, and it's kind of people sometimes have a New Year's resolution. I'm not much in the New Year's resolutions. As Sam said last week, you know, it just defeats you because you, you know by the end of January you've done messed up most of your resolution, so you don't like it. But I do believe that overall, deep down inside of every man and woman is a desire to live a good life and pass on some things to your family, to your children, to your children's children that, uh, that you look back and you go, well, I, I'm glad I was able to make that kind of impact on my family. And, you know, the closer you get to kind of the end of life, you begin to think, well, I really don't too much care what other people think about me anymore. <laughs> I, you know, if if... Jesus can be a little bit impressed with me or have a good feelings about me, that, that wins it all. 
you know. But if you were to win the world's favor and do not have Jesus' favor, you've missed out. And, and then if you had most everybody in the world doesn't care about you, but Jesus favors you, then you've, you've done well. And so I want to I wanna learn to live for the pleasure of one that I please Jesus in my life. And I, I want to see some of the traits that I've tried to, you know, teach and preach and be around over my life. I'd like to see them in my own children and my grandchildren. So well, let's dig into First um, Kings, the 12th chapter. Since it's kind of a long chapter, there are just points of it they'll put up here on the Sky Bible as I call out. Uh, we were trying a new thing where I just call out the verse in Scripture and they'll try to find it on that machine, and they'll throw it up there. So we're going to see how good this goes. It, it may be a great experience. It may be the greatest experience of your 2024. Or it may be just random pieces of the Bible thrown up on the back wall. All right, today we're going to look at Rehoboam is the son of Solomon, the king of Israel. It is approximately now 930 B.C., and Rehoboam's father has passed away. Rehoboam is ascending to the throne. At least that's what he hopes to do. Uh, he's the chosen son. Uh, we believe that, you know, surely David with all those wives and concubines, he had a lot of sons, but there's only one that was ever really acknowledged that would ascend to the throne, and that's Rehoboam. And in, so in 1 Kings 12 and 1, we're going to start. We'll see how this works. First. Kings 12 and 1, there it is. Way to go, David. <laughs> All right, Rehoboam's going to the city of Shechem for his coronation. And uh, he, by going to Shechem, he is trying to rally support from the northern ten tribes for his kingship. Uh, the people have some demands for this new king before they will submit his rule. They point out that his father Solomon had made their burden heavy. Now you think about how did Solomon build all that stuff he built in you know, just a short period of time? Well, he taxed the people and he forced the people to work. And, um, and so, you know, a lot of times you go into a, a nice neighborhood and you go, man, I'd like to be in that neighborhood. But then you start seeing the HOA dues, you know, and you start... Uh, uh, you start finding out their taxation and all the other stuff. Like, I don't think I quite want to be in that neighborhood or not. Or some states are that way. You're like, I like that state, but I don't want to live there. They're the kind you want to visit. Well, Solomon had built all this wonderful, this Jerusalem had built it up and it was amazing, but he had heavily taxed the people. And the people had some demands. We don't want this kind of rule anymore. They point out that Solomon had made great burdens heavy upon them. And he, they said, we need you to lighten the load. And the northern tribes, they will serve under Rehoboam. You've got to lighten the load, though. The burden the people are talking about is, first, the tax burden is likely to be viewed for the paying for the buildings of God's temple. And then for all of uh Solomon's wife that couldn't live under his own household. He had to build them a house and a, a plantation and another one and another one and another. Pretty soon it was just crazy and the people were paying for it and they didn't like it anymore. And said, you got to lighten the load. The burden the people are taking is too much. 
Second, Solomon drafted, drafted, or you could say drafted, or he forced labor from the people of Israel. We find that in 1 Kings 5.13. And Jeroboam was put in charge over the forced labor. The forced labor. Uh, it's amazing when God first, you hear about building Solomon's temple, they got to a point, if you read about it, when the spirit of building the temple was there, they had to ask people to quit bringing stuff. Uh, you know, they quit bringing stuff because we've got enough. We've got enough. And I, I look at that in religion. Religion can either be you try to make people line up by force or you get the spirit of Jesus Christ in the building and people do it because they love Jesus Christ. And we're seeing here that forced anything doesn't work. Forced labor eventually will go run thin and people will move out of that state or they'll move out of, they'll say, we don't want to be a part of this kingdom anymore. So they, they drafted or they forced labor from the people of Israel, 1 Kings 5, 13, and Jeroboam was put in charge over the forced labor. So he was the one, you know, whipping these people and making them work when they didn't want to work. So how would you like to have him over you? So in 1 Kings eleven twenty eight. The northern ten tribes call for Rehoboam to lighten the load, and they will honor Rehoboam as the king and serve him. Rehoboam tells them that he will have an answer for them in three days. He's going to take some time to think about the decision that he's going to make, being that he's fixing to be the new king. Rehoboam asks for counsel from two sets of advisors. Rehoboam first asks the older men, the advisors, to, who served under his father Solomon, and they advised Rehoboam to do what the northern tribes were asking for him to do. You're the new kid on the block. You don't particularly have a good reputation with the people because you've been forcing their labor. And notice the wise counsel they give him in verse 7, 12 and 7. If you will be a servant to the people today, then they will be your servant forever. It kind of reminds me when Jesus come, this is the kind of taxation and the burden and the force that Rome had put upon uh, God's people for a long time. When Jesus come, and he's the ultimate fulfillment of the king of the Old Testament, he's the lineage of David, he said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus come and they wanted a king, they wanted a servant king, not a not a uh, dictator, not some narcissistic king. They wanted someone that understood them, that loved them, that was a servant. And he would say, you know, don't do like I tell you to do. Do like, uh, you know, follow my example. And so that's why Jesus was such a popular king. And the, and they wanted him as their king. Well, the, just the opposite is going on here. The young men, uh, so Rehoboam, he decides, well, I'm going to get some other advice. So I'm going to ask some of the younger men that were in my, my management team of forced labor, I'm going to get their advice what they would do in this situation. And, uh, and they said, well, the young men who had grown up with him, the young men tell Rehoboam to answer the people this way. Said, my little finger is thicker than my father's thigh. And now... Whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. This is in 12, 10, and 11. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpion. And not talking about the, you know, uh, scorpion. But they took a whip 
and in that whip they would embed uh, all kind of rocks and, and thorns and when they had whipped somebody across the back that's the type of whip they beat Jesus's back with but it was some of the hardest form of punishment if you think my dad's whip was something you wait until we whip you with these scorpion whips these are two completely different answers advice to Rehoboam. Rehoboam hears the answer and he wants to hear from those who have grown up with him. It is important to keep in mind the age of Rehoboam. At this time in the story, uh, we, we find that he's only, uh, he, he's only about 41 years old. And you think about that, his dad, uh, Solomon, died about 54. So, uh, but, you know, David lived to his 70s, around 70. So we find here that uh, at 41 years old right now, yet he is going to make foolish, uh, foolish decision and go with the advice of his peers. In verse 13, 12 and 13, tells us that Rehoboam spoke to the northern tribes three days later, and he answered the peace people harshly. He spoke the very counsel that the young man had given him. And then in verse 16, we see that the harsh answer leads to a revolt. They go, we're not putting up with this. The northern tribes say that they no longer have a portion in the house of David. We're not going to be a part of the house of David no more. You, you won't hear our cries. You won't listen to our reason. So we're not going to be a part of you. Essentially, the northern tribes have succeeded from the union, to, to use the language of our civil war in the United States. The northern tribes have broken away from the rule of Rehoboam, and it tells the house of David to fend for themselves. They no longer belong together as a nation under one rule. So this is a sad time. Now, typically, in a, if you were telling this story, you would kind of stop there and say, well, you know, it's good to listen to your elders, and that's, the, you know, that's a very important thing, and not be too uh, geared in on listening just to your peers. However, there are some other factors that we must consider that the author wants us to understand about this event. If we read carefully, chapter 12, verse 15, this was a turner, turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word. What is going to happen here is being caused by the Lord. Real bones going to get blamed for it, but the Lord is doing this thing. This is not some random accident. This is not the kingdom is going off the rails. This is the scenario was brought about by the Lord so that he could fulfill his word. See, God's word had already said that this was going to happen. And my friend, God's word never fails. God's word never fails. The focus on this text is not on Rehoboam's stupidity, but it's on God's sovereignty. This is not to tell you about how stupid Rehoboam was, it is to tell you that God is a sovereign God, and if he says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. We must pay attention to the emphasis in the text. What is the writer speaking about to say that this came about so that God would fulfill his word? We'd have to go back to 1 Kings, the 11th chapter, 1 through 8. 1 Kings 11, 1 through 8, we read that Solomon turning his heart away from the Lord, Solomon turned his heart away from the Lord. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. His wives turned his heart away from the Lord and to other gods. In verse 9, it said, reveals the Lord was angry at Solomon for turning away. 
Verse 11 records the condemnation of God. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice, and you have not kept, you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Verse 12 says, Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of your hand of your son. So his son, Rehoboam, is now there. So he said, I'm going to tear it out of your son's hand. Verse 13, however, I will not tear it away all, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I'll give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. So you, you, you understand now why people are interested in the book of Revelation? When God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. When God says the nation that forgets God would, would be disciplined, would be humbled, we need to listen to those things because God's word is sure. may not happen when you think it should happen, but God will fulfill his word. God is not a liar. God is not man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said it and shall he not do it? Numbers 23 and 19. Then uh, Ahijah had told, this is verse 30, 32, had, to, had laid hold of the new garment that was on him and he tore it into 12 pieces. Verse 31 said, and he said to Jeroboam, take for yourself 10 pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I'm about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon and will give it, to, give your, the 10 tribes. Verse 32, but he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city that I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. So all we're seeing here uh, is God's word being fulfilled. Why? Because you're seeing other scriptures being fulfilled at the same time. David, David began to fail the Lord. When, when David began to take on multiple wives and concubines, God told him not to do that. When he told him not to lean on horses and chariots and, and, and men, that's not the way you're going to survive. You, you need to follow my statutes, follow my commandments, and that's the way you'll make it. That's your safest way is follow me. Well, David didn't do it. David sometimes was, you know, David had it together sometimes and sometimes he didn't, like all of us. But the sins of David was picked up then in the second generation with Solomon. And the Bible tells us the sins of the fathers are passed to the second and the third generation. So Rehoboam, David's son, is going to reap something that was really caused by David. That was caused by Solomon. Now Rehoboam's going to finish reaping what they sowed. I got to thinking about this passage and, you know, uh, we'll find that God's a loving God and he's a forgiving God. Uh, God had promised that the kingdom would be divided because of Solomon's sin. This point made again a few verses later. Rehoboam gathers 180,000 chosen warriors to go fight against the northern tribes. Rehoboam, you know, he was a taskmaster. He thought, we'll just put our army together and we'll go down there and whip those ten tribes in, into, into order. However, the word of God came to the prophet Shemia to tell Rehoboam not to go up to fight against the northern tribes. The reason is very clear. Every man returned to his home, for this thing is from me, 
God is saying, this that's happening to your nation, your 12 tribes, it is coming from me. 12 and 24. This division was God's doing. Twice the text emphasizes to the reader that God is behind the turn of events. There are three life lessons, or uh, several. I'll probably hit two or three of them. One of them is that the consequences of our sin are far-reaching. The consequences of our sin are far-reaching. The effects of sin last for generations. You know, a lot of times we, we fail. We, we, you know, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. One uh, teacher I used to go here, Bill Gothard, who met in Atlanta, was one of the most masterful teachers you ever heard. 20,000 people would come hear him speak. One of the things he said that always stuck with me is what one generation allows in moderation, the next generation will allow in excess. Now, that right there, you go, well, you know, as a Christian, I'm going to take my liberty, and I can do this, and I can do that. God's a loving and forgiving God, and it's not, it's not really sin. It's getting close to sin. It's getting close to probably not being acceptable, but I think I can get by with it. And it may appear that you get by with it. But I wonder if your children will get by with it. Because what you've done in moderation, they do a little bit further. I remember I, my dad used to cut my hair, so he cut it however he wanted it. <laughs> you want them sideburns? Here, I'll put it in a limb look for you. <laughs> but when I got, I got married at 17, so I could do whatever I wanted. <laughs> And I remember the first thing I did is grew my hair out. The Beatles were popular back then. I grew my hair long. And my dad goes, son, that's the first step to backslide. <laughs> well, I don't know that it really was. But I can tell you this. By the time my son got in high school, he had hair way down here. Parted it there in the middle. It kind of looked like Jesus. Uh, but. A lot of what Bill Gothard said and, and what we see from Scripture is truthful. Uh, what you may start doing at a certain period of your life because you're mature and you know the limits of it, and, you know, I would never take it too far, and I've got it in control, your children may pick that very same thing up at a younger age in their life, and they may not have it in control and it may master them rather than the ability of the parents to master it. And all these things really don't start out as sin, of course, but sometimes they end that way. I think about Lot. Lot, you know, goes, you know, I think, you know, we're doing pretty good. I think I'm going to take all my sheep and all my livestock, and I think we're going to pitch our tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And we're just going to kind of move over here because, you know, see these watered plains going down to Sodom and Gomorrah? See, he had mistaken the blessings of his father, the one he considered his father, Father Abraham. God had promised Abraham anywhere that the soles of your feet walked upon would be blessed. So, Abraham, you're going to be blessed in the city. 
and you're going to be blessed in the country. Wherever you go, you're going to be blessed. Well, Solomon, I mean, a lot followed Abraham as Abraham followed God's principles, and Lot was blessed immeasurably. But then he thought all those blessings came about by his own good, and he thought he'd go on his own way. And when he went on his own way, he realized that he just walked away from the blessings of God and the blessings of his father Abraham. I just pray that if we want the good life, that we would do our very best not to walk away from God's blessings because God desires to bless us. The Lord, in, these, in the sin of Solomon, it changed the course of events. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for a thousand, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is the God we serve. He's a loving God. He's a merciful God. He's a gracious God. He's a God slow to anger. He's a God that's abounding in a steadfast uh, love. He's faithful God. And he, his love is steadfast for thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. He does all that, but, 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 who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. He had told them that in Exodus 34, 6, and 7. And now they're seeing the scripture come to pass exactly like God had told them there. God is merciful and forgiving. However, we must understand our sins will continue to have its impact from generation to generation long after we are gone. Things have gone completely different in the life of Rehoboam. But the sin of Solomon changed the course of events in Rehoboam's life. And I think we failed to forget the little things. You know, uh, there's some parents one time was in church and they, on the way home, they were griping about the service and their kids were in the back seat and they heard it. And uh, the kids saw when the plate was passed. You know, we don't pass a plate because we don't want to, you know, we don't want to affect our children adversely. But the plate passed and the dad put 50 cent in there. And they were complaining about the service and the little boy in the back seat said, I thought it was a pretty good show for 50 cent. <laughs> <laughs> and we must keep in mind that our choices that we're making about God today definitely will impact our children of the future sexual immorality destroys children destroys homes and deeply affects children divorce and remarriage whether scripturally or not impacts the lives of our children our emotional responses like how we vent our anger and our stubbornness and our bitterness and our malice and our meanness and even our disposition affects our children. During this whole ordeal of my selling of house and getting another house built, I've had a lot of anger and bitterness and malice and meanness. And me and Sharon even having arguments who's been the meanest during this period of time. <laughs> but I'm glad our kids wasn't around or they might have learned some bad behaviors. 
because kids, they mimic our behaviors. There used to be an old commercial where a dad goes and he sits down and uh, leans against a tree and has a smoke. And then in the picture, you see the little boy goes out there and he leans, he sits down, he's acting like the father. Back in my days, though, they, we bought candy cigarettes. <laughs> and you could blow this smoke out of the end of it and make it look like you really some bad kid or something. But here's the thing. Our sins can even change the outcome of, our, of their lives. So a lot of times your decision and only changing the outcome of your life is changing the outcome of their life. When we choose to stay home rather than come to worship God, we teach our children that God is not much of a priority in our life. Sometimes our ball games and our activities that we promote our kids to do become a lot higher priority than Christ. We teach our children that there are other things that are more important and hold a higher perspective. The other thing is life goes better when we live in obedience to the Lord. I want you to know that even though Rehoboam was wrong, God used God used uh, him. And a lot of us, you can go back in your life. This is not a, a day of guilt and go, man, I wish I would have been a better father or grandfather. Guilt really does you no good if that's all you're going to do is reminisce about or regret your past and what you could have done and should have, would have. The better thing is to do is take it to God and say, God, uh, yesterday is gone. But from this day forward, I want to be the best father or grandfather or husband or wife or grandmother that I can possibly be. And by your grace and your help, I will try to be that. I won't pretend that I did everything all right in my life and I never, I never was not what I needed to be. But I'll tell you, I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I'm going to be. But by God's grace, I'm going to be a better person. Uh, and so... What we're learning as we go through these passages and going through the Bible, that we realize that life goes better when we live in obedience to the Lord. And that seems like a very simple thing, but it's a true thing. Can you imagine what would have happened if verse 24 of Rehoboam would have not listened to the word of the Lord and he had took his army of 180,000? They would have been demolished because he would have been fighting against God. We can't fight against God. Uh, yesterday, uh, I went to a funeral and I heard one of the most powerful, anointed eulogies of a mother I'd ever heard in my life. She told it straight. She told it truthful. And boy, did it affect me. When you, when you think about that, uh, sometimes our, our kids go down the wrong roads. And sometimes we don't want to admit it, but we're part of the wrong roads they go down. And yet, you realize that God still loves them. And you realize that God still loves us while we were enemies of God. See, God's steadfast love, it does not diminish. God loves. God he don't love you if, or he loves you when God loves you. God loves you. Everything God does and allows happen to you, 
is uh, out of the loving hand of God. God, there comes a time God must correct us because he loves us. He says if he didn't correct us, we'd be like fatherless children. And so God corrects us, but he corrects us not to be mean, but he does it because he loves us. And so just like we'd flip over and we would see what uh, Solomon was saying in Ecclesiastes from hindsight, I want to flip over now to Proverbs 3, 1 through 10, and I want to see what Solomon says. And it's kind of like a regret, but I want to see what Solomon says about his parenting skills. And he says, my son, and we would, we would hope to believe that that is Rehoboam he's talking about. He said, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Well, he probably learned that because he only lived to be 54. He said, let not the steadfast love and the faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of, of God and man. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruit of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Proverbs 3, 1 through 10. See, he says life and peace will be added to your life when you obey the commandments of God. If the team will come on up and get ready. Be faithful to the Lord and you will have success with God. You know, the Lord, as we step into a new year, as we step into a, a new year, I want you to remember this truth. You are highly favored by God. What does that mean? And it means that God gave His grace through His Son, Jesus Christ. And you found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God's grace is on your life. You are favored. You are among God's chosen. He loved you before you ever done anything right. He loved you while you were yet a sinner. You could be thinking right now of all the bad things you did in 1923, and God still loves you. It doesn't mean that everything will be perfect in our lives just because we're God's chosen and that we're favored of God and loved by God. Even Mary, even Mary in the scriptures was highly favored, but she faced challenges. But we have God's grace for eternal and abundant life, even in a fallen world. So let us take on the response of Mary. Mary said, let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. 
I tell you what, there's so many times in the process of this house, like we were going to get the house, then we maybe not was going to get the house, and things would go right and things would go wrong. And I found myself praying more and more. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give me this day your daily bread. Forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those that trespass against me. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. You say, why? This is a metabolism killer. Because, because I want God's kingdom in my life. I want God's kingdom in my life. I want God's kingdom in my life. Do you want, do you want David's kingdom? David's kingdom begin to fall apart. Solomon's kingdom begin to fall apart. Rehoboam's kingdom begin to really fall apart. But you know, God's kingdom is established. It's never going to fall apart. And so sometimes it takes a lot to swallow and say, God, no matter how much I personally want something, I'm praying for your will to be done, not mine. God, I want your kingdom, not mine. Because your kingdom's going to go on forever and ever and ever. And so, as we step into this new year's, may we say, as Mary did, may we, may we decide, may we want God's God's word, according to your word, Lord, that I want in my life. Not my will, but your will. I want you to remember that we're favored of God, and God loves us very much so. I want us, if we will, to stand for a moment. I want us to pray this prayer together. I'm going to have it up on the big sky thing there. team's going to come on out and get ready. They're going to pray it with us. This is my prayer for 2024. And I want to lead us in it. I want you to all say it together. And I hope you mean it. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this would be a great time to just ask him to come on in. Let's look up here on this back wall. Lord, I believe and receive your grace upon my life so that your plan can be fulfilled in me. I want to thank you for your grace, which makes me your favorite. We are people upon whom the favor of God rests. Your grace extends not only to saving us, but also sustaining us. You saved me, and you will keep me. You started a good work, and you will complete it. I want to express my gratitude to you, God. I pray that during this next season, I will receive your grace and walk in your favor. In Jesus' name, amen.